Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, it's been we've been off for a couple weeks and a lot of stuff has happened. But before we get into all that, let the listeners know, especially the new listeners, what the show is all about and why they should be tuning in every week. It's hard to keep up with everything that's been going on, and we'll certainly get into a lot of that later. We come to you pretty much on a weekly basis. We try to give you things that are important in the news and in politics. Uh, we always start the show off light, Frank. So uh, I'm sure you've seen it by now. But last week, uh, I counted twice that your boy's wife, Melania, she slapped his hand away. And then you got the uh, the whole fake smile thing that she did at the inauguration earlier this year. Uh, these politicians, they go through a lot of training, man. They go through a lot of training on what to do and what not to do. And for her to do that in such a very public you know, well-covered event like his first foreign trip or the inauguration. And like the first time when they're getting off Air Force One, it was a lot more covert in how she did it. She kind of pretended like she was brushing her hair away. But that second time when they're walking, uh, looks like on the red carpet, it was a blatant get your hand away from me. Are we reading too much into what's going on? with her because we know she has opted to stay in New York versus living in uh, D.C. with Trump. Uh, so are we reading too much into this or is there something really going on between uh, Melania and the dump? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty confident that everybody who who is in the know knows that, that this is kind of a, a an, I wouldn't call it an arranged marriage, so to speak, but it's, it's, a, it's a cold marriage. Um, you could almost argue maybe Clinton's had a similar type of um, arrangement where it was only for appearances. Obviously, with them living uh, in different uh, states and I mean, the way Donald, I mean, you can say what you want to say or, you know, if you're a Trump supporter and or whatever your situation is, at the end of the day, you know, he doesn't respect women. And we know that if he's on his third wife, he probably has fidelity issues, faith, you know, faithful, you know, being faithful type of thing. So I'm sure he's cheating and has cheated on Melania and he probably said something disrespectful and she's probably just fed up with it. You know, this is probably not what she wanted when she married Donald Trump for whatever reason. It probably wasn't to be the president. She is probably the most uncomfortable first lady that we've <laughs> seen. I mean, that's I, agree. I mean, it's she. She is trying to stay out of the spotlight. Like she doesn't want any part of it. That's why he's elevated his daughter to this unknown position. I mean, you you thought first daughter was just a movie with Katie Holmes. Well, that was just the precursor to you know Ivanka now whatever she's doing. So, uh, you know, obviously there's some problems there. Anybody, any man who's on tape saying things he says about women. He's not going to have a good marriage. I don't care what you say. I'm not trying to go biblical. I'm just saying he doesn't respect women. So it's going to be tough to have a great marriage. So the slapping the hand away thing is kind of funny to me, especially when people were so um, busy, you know, knocking the Obamas, especially Michelle Obama and things she was doing or whatever it was. But the Obamas love each other. I think that's the main thing that you're seeing is you know what love looks like and what it doesn't look like. And I see when you look at the, the Trumps or whatever you want to call them, the Trumps. Um, they, they, there's no love there. There's no love at all. I know one thing before we get into the show. He's been mentioning her a lot more on Twitter. Go ahead. Don't take my word for it. Go to his timeline when you get a chance. He's been mentioning Flotus a lot more than he has in the past. So uh be interesting to see how this marriage or arrangement rather goes. Uh, but with that said, 
Let's get into some politics. Politically entertaining your Cliff's notes to American politics, and now your host Frank Senator and Tom Byron Scott, joining us later on in the show today. Uh, we're happy to have him back on, uh, Republican Senator from South Carolina. We ask that you subscribe. We're on iTunes, we're on Podbean, we're on Podcast on Google Play, we're also on Stitcher Radio. Subscribe. We've got the best price that you could ever ask for. It's for the free. Frank and I do this just for the love of it. So subscribe, tell friends to do the same, and uh, we'll continue to uh, bring you that news and politics that that are important to you. We're going to touch on some subjects that I've tried to avoid uh, throughout the history of this show, but I'm going to finally we're going to finally touch on them today, Frank. But the first topic uh, that I want to get into, man, this whole Russian collusion thing with the administration and whether or not. Um, the, the type of influence that Russia's, Russia has had on the, the election and the administration at large. The entire White House has pretty much lawyered up, including Trump himself. He has he's he's gotten a lawyer now. And it's probably because a special prosecutor has been assigned. He's the former uh, FBI director, Rob Mueller. I think I'm saying his name right. Uh, but so much has been going on, Frank. You've got. Mike Flynn, the, the national security advisor who had to resign, I, I, I will bring this up every time I mention his name. The same guy at the Republican convention that was screaming, lock her up, lock her up, and, and was saying how if you uh, if you plead the fifth, that you're pretty much guilty. Well, guess who's pleading the fifth? Good old Mike Flynn. He's pleading the fifth. He was subpoenaed and he refused to uh, turn over some documents. We also learned that our attorney general, Jeff Sessions, he I mean, I hate to call somebody a liar, but that's pretty much what he did. He intentionally left out his involvement with Russia. And remember, when that came up a couple of months ago, he said he didn't think about it at the time. We're learning from reports that the Department of Justice told him to purposely leave out his meetings with Russia. And you got Trump bragging about how he fired Comey to slow down the investigation. And so if you believe that report, we got a whole lot of smoke here, Frank. So. A lot of people on the left, especially, have been, you know, clamoring to when is this guy going to be brought up on impeachment? Is this the first shoe to drop, in your opinion? I really think it is. I mean, I, and I know we said this on our show a few times back and and you gave me some props for calling up, calling out Bill O'Reilly and I. Yes. Um, and, and I do respect and I, I love getting props. You know, who doesn't? But I also made a comment on that same show. I said, Donald Trump is, is on his way out, too. And you've made mention of that, too. And I said, it just it's just going to take a time for the heat to get hot, turned up hot enough. And so you have some distractions in there. You had the whole uh, USS Carl Vinson. Where was it going? Was it going up to, you know, to a defensive position against North Korea? Where are we at war with Syria? Uh, you know, there was all these things that were there was a travel ban. There was these things that there was a health care bill, all these things that were just kind of coming up 
that were, that were preventing the laser-like focus needed to really figure out what's going on with the Russian collusion. And now it's finally taking shape. The special prosecutor is in place and people are starting to get nervous. And now the attention that needs to be on is finally being put on it. So I think, yes, this is the beginning of the end. Now, it might be a long process, but I think this is the beginning. And I think now that there's there's th- that this has happened, the posture that people have taken, it's, it's not, they're not going to be able to wiggle out of it now because, okay, you've lawyered up. So now we know we're headed for a legal battle. So they understand that, you know, this is now moved to past the realm of people arguing on Twitter and Facebook about, you know, whatever it is. This, there are some real serious things going on here. And this is this is big because, you know, you know, for people that really don't understand national security is not a partisan issue. You know, whether or not you think the government should be bigger or smaller, being infiltrated by a foreign power is not a partisan issue because it's going to affect you. Because I'm, I'm just telling you that a foreign power doesn't care about which party you're with. They care about, you know, infiltration, disruption of the of, of our country. So I just, you know, want people to have their eyes open on this and understand that this is a very dire situation. And, you know, somebody who's really good to follow, if you don't follow him, is Dan Rather. I mean, talk about a guy that has been off spot on with everything since, you know, Trump's been elected. He's like I said, he's, he really dropped some great gems, but like I said, it's it's definitely just the beginning, and God knows, oh God, and, and literally, God only knows what else is going to come up before this thing uh, comes to an end. I I don't know how soon or if uh, impeachment will come. I will say that I've always felt like for it to come, uh, the Republicans will have to experience some significant losses in the midterms next year before they began walking away from him. But I'll say this, impeachment or not, if his administration continues to go this way, which I don't see any evidence where it won't, it seems like it's going to continue to go this way as far as scandal after scandal and things like that. It's not going to matter if he's impeached because he's going to be so weakened to where he won't be able to get anything significantly passed. Uh, as you just saw this, this a few days ago, his travel ban once again, was blocked for the third time by the Court of Appeals. So, you know, if he continues to be this toxic, you know, even if he's not impeached, he's going to be a very, very weak uh, president that nobody's going to really want to work with. Speaking of all of this smoke surrounding the administration, I don't know how many House of Cards fans we have out there, by the way, that show is starting this week. Uh, But the character, the main character, uh, Kevin Spacey's uh, character, Frank Underwood, in the first season, he is the uh, I think of the majority whip who maneuvers his way into the, the vice presidential position. And then on season two, he maneuvers him, his way into becoming president by easing the, the current president out of the way. Frank, I want to know what you uh, make of our real pre- vice president's latest move, Mike Pence. And those moves are. With all this heat surrounding Trump, this is what your boy Pence has been up to. He's been visiting key Republican battleground states, Indiana, Pennsylvania, Ohio, the all important Florida. He's visiting all those states. Uh, He's been very mute on the, the different woes that Trump has been facing. And the big thing, the huge thing, the first vice president in maybe ever, but don't quote me on the ever. If it's not ever, it's been. Over 50 years since a vice president 
has created a political action committee, uh, in other words, a PAC. And he has created this. And even longtime friend Roger Stone tweeted his disdain and, and, and pretty much I forgot exactly what his tweet said. But it pretty much said, hmm, I, I wonder what uh, Mike Pence is up to because this doesn't look good. And this is a loyal Trump supporter who's saying that. Now, it's reported that he cleared all of these moves with the president. But, Frank, you and I, we talk about the NBA a lot on here. And we've talked about how uh, players in the past have been uh, coach killers, whether it's Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas. If you're a big enough superstar and you want a particular coach out of there, you can get him out of there. Do you see Pence uh, maneuvering himself to possibly kind of nudge Trump on out of there or would he not dare try such a thing? I, th I think that Pence is, is a politician for through and through. And he understands that he understands more than most that this this thing could go south very quickly. And he doesn't want to give he doesn't want to go down with the ship. Right. So if if, if Trump is impeached. If Flynn goes to jail or whatever the situation is, he wants to be able to be retain the presidency. And so if he just waits around until it all falls down and doesn't have an infrastructure, then he's not going to have as great a chance for success. So in his mind, he's hedging his bet. He's not necessarily hoping that Donald Trump fails, but he knows that is a strong possibility even coming in to the campaign. I mean, you saw how uncomfortable he was at the debates. You remember the debate with Tim Kaine. I mean, he really... Never, he didn't. He didn't really co-sign anything that that Donald Trump had done or had said. Uh, he was just kind of there, trying to hope, you know, to get through it. So I think all this time he knows that in 2020 it could be him and somebody else running for the presidency. So he is trying to get, you know, his his campaign, his his affairs in order because time moves really fast. I know that we, you know, we talked about Trump and the election, but. It's already almost been six months, and I know that doesn't seem like a long time, but that's it's th it's three and a half years until another election comes up. I know, I know it doesn't seem like it comes up that quick, but time moves very quickly. And for those who understand that the political game is a monolithic process and setting up a political action committee is just the, the groundwork for if you need to step in and do your own thing. So to me, he knows that it could go south, especially you mentioned the midterms. Yes, he wouldn't want to wait until the midterms for everything to go down before he started getting his plan to action. So in my opinion, you're looking at the beginnings, going back to the, our first part of our uh, discussion, this is the beginnings of the end of Donald Trump as the president. But this is the Republicans' chance to try to hold on to the presidency by saying, hey, we got Mike Pence and he's, he's you know, gauging the water to see how much support he really has. I love this uh, response from his staff. I love it because they begin the, the, the beginning of their statement with, you know, vehemently denying that Pence is doing anything, you know, against Trump or trying to maneuver himself. They, they deny, deny, deny. No way he's loyal to the president. And then they end the comment with saying, but, you know, you never know. I mean, Trump may not run for office in 2020 and it would be great if Pence is in the position to run. So who knows what could happen? I love it. <laughs> they they tried to close the door and then it's like they cracked it back open and said, but, you know, just in case he'll be ready. So uh, very, man, it, this is it's never a dull moment with this administration. You have to admit that. Um, with that said, 
Let's talk to uh, the, the Republican senator from South Carolina, Tim Scott. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Extremely grateful to have this guest back on with us again. He is the Republican senator from South Carolina, Senator Tim Scott. We want to thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. It's always good to be on the show with the two, two of you guys. You guys are dynamite together. So I know you guys have probing questions. And I'm <laughs> happy to answer the ones that I like. <laughs> okay, let's see how many of them you like. Uh, the the last time you on here, the last time you on here, not long after you uh, did the interview with us, you gave a three part speech on the floor about your interactions with the uh, with police. How was that speech received overall, and what has your what has your interactions with law enforcement been like since you gave that speech last year? I think the receptivity for the speech overall was very positive. Uh, I think it was eye-opening for a lot of folks. It seemed like a part of my speech, especially the second one, where I talked about my seven stops in one year as an elected official, seemed to validate the concerns of other men of color that they had been talking about for a long time, which was a part of the impetus for my speech. Uh, I will also say that, uh, there, of course, there was some blowback, that you, you should expect that anytime you step out into terrain that is uh, not not the normal terrain for a conservative like myself to step out there. So I should have uh, expected some blowback, and I certainly got it. But uh, overall, I think it's positive. My relationship with law enforcement continues to be, a, I think, a good one, a positive one. While I have uh, had some really uh, challenging interactions, I would say that I've also had the most amazing interactions as well. So I tried my best to give a clear and positive perspective on law enforcement overall while addressing a needed issue because even though I'm a big supporter of law enforcement, I'm also going to have to be the guy that tells the truth even when it's the hard truth. I thought it was very effective. Um, something else you shared on the floor, the floor earlier this year, actually, uh, you, you received some very vicious comments directed at you during the uh, the Secretary of Education vote, Bessie DeVos. Um, what prompted you to share those comments? And also, what are your thoughts on students graduating that booed her at Bethune-Cookman or the students that walked out on uh, Vice President Pence at Notre Dame? What are your thoughts on actions like those? And, and what prompted you to share those comments with uh, us on the floor? I think sometimes we get it's easy for us to demonize other folks, and when we're doing the demonizing, it's easy to live in a glass house. And when I started sharing the folks who had been so vicious in their comments about me, I noticed that some of them started deleting their Twitter handles, so to speak. Oh yeah, because yeah, nobody wants to. No, everybody feels good in anonymity. But no one feels good in broad daylight when they're doing things that they know that they cannot be proud of. I wanted to accomplish a couple of things. Number one, I wanted people to know that the process of my decision was a painful one that brought with it a lot of abuse. Number two, I made my decision not based in a vacuum. It was less about Betsy DeVos or other candidates. It was more about being uh, in a position of influence 
and using it as effectively as possible, realizing that the real culprit to bad policy is not the Secretary of Education. It's Congress who sets the policy. So I wanted to make sure that I brought some perspective to the actual challenges that sometimes we face and where to place the blame or where the credit should, should, should be had. Um, so that was a big part of it. And the second part of your question? Uh, the, the response she received at Bethune-Cookman and the students walking yeah. out at Notre Dame, what do you think of those type of actions? Yeah. You know, I think everybody has, you know, it's just a free country, as they say, right? So you have the right. right to walk out whenever you want to. Uh, I spoke at an HBCU this year myself. Unfortunately, the students uh, remained in their seats, but they were not necessarily all you know, excited about my, my presence. Here's my thought. I think we ought to be very careful when we decide to walk out or turn our backs on people that we disagree with. If the only people you want to hear from are those folks that reinforce your current worldview, you have a very narrow and shallow worldview. So even when we disagree with folks, let's give them the respect that we want people to give us. And by doing so, it says more about who you are than who's making the presentation. And, of course, the, the opposite is true as well. When you walk out, it says more about who you are that does a speaker. Hey, Senator, this is uh, Frank. I'm going to jump in here. And one of the things that, you know, we talked about last time on the show, we, we talked about, you know, black, the African-American vote and voting uh, Republican, how the African-American vote has been, you know, largely slanted towards the Democratic Party for years and years really since the Civil Rights Movement. But what I wanted to say is, okay, so after this uh, last election and with the appointment of, say, an attorney general like Jeff Sessions, as an African-American when you have somebody like, say, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, who is now rolling back things like the, the, the fair sentencing and he's trying to reintroduce mandatory minimums, which we know unfairly targets uh, minorities, especially African-Americans and Hispanics. What is the real, um, I, I guess, what, what do you feel like is the real advantage now? With Is the Republican Party, is, is it where it needs to be to in your mind for the African-American voters to feel comfortable saying, you know what, I'm going to vote conservatively because they have my best interest in mind when you see some of the policies that may be implemented or be rolling out now? Yeah, I, I think I get the, the gist of the question. At the end of the day, here's what I believe. I believe the reality of it is this uh, new direction from the, the Attorney General will have a disproportionate impact African Americans, without much of a question, put it out. But however, that this disproportionate impact has changed drastically as the opioid debate continues to rage. That you have a whole new group of folks who will be negatively impacted by this debate, and that is one part of the conversation that I will watch very closely as we start addressing a new drug conversation that is typically not inner city, not, not people of color, that it will have a lasting impact on who we are as a country, just as the earlier debate and uh, disagreements and challenges around the crack versus cocaine disparity. So it's a new day in this country that will hopefully bring many of us together on looking for ways for criminal justice reform. As it relates specifically to the party, I would suggest that the challenges that we face in recruiting uh, people of color to the party will not rest on 
the actions of any one individual, certainly not the Attorney General. It will be our overall approach to very difficult issues. And do we find ourselves uh, encouraging enthusiastically the participation of people who have different views yet remain connected and committed to a conservative narrative? Can we attract those folks into the party? I think we do that as I spoke at the graduation at, at an HBCU. I heard the, the normal challenges that you hear uh, from, from African-Americans about being a Republican. Uh, but when we were walking down and walking out, one of the pastors turned to me and said, uh, you know, we need, we need some help. Can you do blah, blah, blah? And I was like, weren't you just yelling at me a few minutes ago? He says, yeah, you've got to know your audience, number one. Number two, you do realize that African-Americans have done just as good on the Republican presidents as we have on the Democrats. And then he went through the entire 2013 challenge that the HBCU presidents had with the Obama administration cutting nearly $200 million out of their funding because of some administrative decisions that they made that had a negative impact on HBCUs. And so in the end, what I've learned is that while we have folks that are cheerleaders on one side, the proof is in the pudding and the proof suggests that there's been equal progress and equal pain under both administrations, both Republican and Democrat. And the person, the pastor that I was talking about was certainly not the president of the, of the HBCU. So I don't want to conflate those two into one uh, person. Senator Tim Scott with us. Um, we're running up against time. Uh, has so many questions for you. I'll leave you with this one because it's a big topic that's coming up right before the August recess, and that is health care. We know the House passed a health care bill a few weeks ago, and the Senate is currently working on one. How do you respond to people who say, why not just improve with what's wrong with Obamacare instead of starting all the way over and tearing it down and starting from scratch? Yeah, I think this is a valid question, and let's do this again and maybe in the next three, four weeks or so. I'll have my team stay in touch with, with you guys and your team. I, I will say that all questions about the process are legitimate questions because we are talking about something that is vitally important to the average person. It's their access to health care. So the reasons why I would tell you that improving the current health care law is quite difficult is because the Congressional Budget Office came to the conclusion with all the generations around the health care bill that, that preceded the election, by the way, that it was unsustainable. So about two years ago, CBO came out with a report that said they just could not no longer score the health care law, which means that, as we've seen all around the country, folks are jumping ship. Health insurance companies are leaving the market. So while the plan that has been passed in the House has been, has been criticized for having fewer people covered, the truth is that if you maintain the status quo of Obamacare, then we find ourselves in a position of having no coverage at all under that current health care law because it was going to implode. So what we've done, I think, is taken the most compassionate approach of having a serious fight in our chambers about what is the right direction for health care reform and making sure that that gave access, quality access, to as many people as possible. 
Very well. We will be keeping our eyes on that and see what happens. Uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on with us. And uh, we hope to talk to you again. But from just sincerely, thank you for coming on, sir. And we'll try to talk to you again. Yes, well, let's try this back again in June. We'll have a little more time, hopefully. want to thank Senator Tim Scott for coming on with us. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, we definitely had, I know some of you may have heard that interview and say, well, why didn't you ask him this after he answered that? We were, he, his flight was delayed. He was running up against time. We had significantly less time than we expected with him. And uh, so we had to kind of rush. We had to skip some of our questions, skip some of the follow-ups, and just try to get as much as we could for you that interview. But I will say, Frank, and Frank can uh, back me up on this, he did say offline that he would come back on because he realized how short the interview was. So he said he'll come back on, and he's kept his word so far. So even though it was a short interview, Frank, I think we got some good answers. What were your thoughts on the interview with the uh, senator from South Carolina? I mean, I thought it was very good. I mean, I thought it was very telling, uh, you know, what he, what he talked about, Betsy DeVos, and, and, and talking about the policies that Congress makes. And I think that's important to understand that certainly Betsy DeVos is going to bear the brunt of it, not that she shouldn't, because I still don't believe that she is qualified uh, based on her credentials alone. But, you know, again, the budgets and the policies are Congress's to bear. So that we again, we need to hold them accountable for that if we don't agree with you know the budget as it is. And also with his regard to Jeff Sessions, understanding that his sentencing, sentencing laws are are negatively impacting African-Americans. But now the fact that there's, you know, other people being affected due to the opioid addiction is, is going to be looked at a little bit differently. So, I mean, a, a very great interview. Again, just a great to have a senator come on and, and just be honest with the public, because I think that's really what people want uh, to know. Is there's so much that is double talk and there's, you know, all these news channels and people only want to subscribe to one way of thinking. I think one thing he says very important is if you only listen to people who think like you, then your view is, is too narrow. Before we get out of here, I mentioned at the top of the show, Frank, how we'd be discussing uh, topics that I've tried to avoid in the past. And one of those topics is uh, Bill Cosby. Now, we've definitely mentioned his name because Frank and I, we talk about uh, domestic violence a lot on here and, and sexual assault from time to time. And his name has come up. But we've never really talked about him in depth. One of the reasons I've avoided him, because he is very beloved. He's an icon to uh, many people. He's a legend. Uh, I don't want to say to many people, to me. I mean, I grew up watching the Cosby show. So he's a legend. He's beloved. He's all of those great things. But he has been accused of some heinous, heinous acts and it's not just by two or three or five women we're talking about over 40 it's the number up to 60 now i forget how many it is but it's a lot of accusers now i think the main problem that people have is it seems like they feel like if he's guilty then that erases every great deed that he that he did in the past for me it's not it's not like that okay i can step back and acknowledge all the great things that Mr. Cosby has done, uh, the, the barriers that he broke and, and the opportunities that he gave a lot of not only uh, African-American comedians, but African-American actors, period, in the entertainment business. I can step back and acknowledge all that and still say, hey, he deserves to be punished for what he did if he's guilty. 
And I think some people feel like if he's guilty, they can no longer watch the Cosby show. I don't agree with that. The two the two are separate. He's Cliff Huxtable on the Cosby show. But in real life, if he's guilty, he's Bill Cosby, who may or may not have sexually assaulted multiple women. So for me, Frank, I can't ignore 40 plus women. And I don't see how some people can just simply because they love him so much, just write off these multiple accusations at the same time. They claim to be champions of uh, women's rights and protecting women and, and speaking out against domestic violence and things like that. And they move, they continue to move the goalposts to where it goes from Cosby wouldn't do anything like that. And then when you hear the deposition where he admits it, then they say, well, that's how the times were back then. That's how the 60s and 70s were back then. So everybody was doing it. Uh, in my opinion, those type of people are contributing to the culture of women that don't report sexual assault. So many women never even report sexual assault. And I want to get your opinion on this, but I will uh, definitely wait for the verdict in this upcoming case. This jury has been, just been selected. Seven men, five women. Uh, there are only two black people on the jury. Um, but to just dismiss and defend him just because he was a TV dad that made you laugh, that shouldn't blind you to the possibility that he may be guilty, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on um, Mr. Cosby? I mean, I think you summed it up really well. I think one thing we have to understand as human beings that there's, it's, it's, you know, it's, I'm going to make a, an analogy here. When Joe Paterno, you know, he, he knew, obviously knew about something that went on with uh, what happened at Penn State and, you know, the way they kind of fired him and took down a statue. I always say this, if somebody's worthy enough to build a statue to, then you need to keep in mind they could have done something wrong. So don't be so judgmental to, to rip out everything that they've done because you know something bad about them. And I'll say that about Bill Cosby, because as you mentioned, great comedian, great actor, classic movies, just ahead of his time, really a pioneer uh, for for a lot of what you see now. And so certainly it doesn't excuse anything he did. If he's guilty of all those things and, you know, then God help him. He's going to have to pay for it. He should pay for it. But at the same time, you shouldn't necessarily feel guilty watching the Cosby show, because the problem is the problem with the slippery slope with that is Hollywood is such a crazy game. Like you might not be watching hardly any movies if you start trying to do digging around, seeing what directors did what or what actors did what. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on. I'm not excusing it, but what I'm saying is, if it needs to be understood that there's people that have gifts that we can enjoy and do things, and we may not agree with what they've done, but that doesn't take away from their talent and what they've done. And it doesn't mean that they're not guilty. They shouldn't pay for it. But at the same time, the Cosby Show was a great show and a great example for a middle-class black America to see that upward, upwardly mobile black family at that time when that was not really seen anywhere. So you can't take away from the art form that it was from the man, even if he was obviously doing things that, that were reprehensible. I like healthy uh, skepticism and, you know, because so many of his victims are, are white females and due to the history in this country where, you know, we talked about Emmett Till earlier this season where white women have accused black men of crimes against them. And then it turns out to not be true. But the black man gets punished anyway. So 
I like healthy skepticism, but again, it's more than 40 women. I think it's up to 60. So I just don't think that can be ignored. And one last thing uh, before I turn it over to you to take us out, man. Uh, I pretty much know how this is going to go. When the verdict comes out, if he's found guilty, then, uh, you know, people are going to say how un- uh, how unfair his trial was and everything. And if he's found not guilty, you know, the people who have defended him are going to say, see, you know, you guys believe everything you hear. I told y'all he didn't do it. And, and they just went after him because he was trying to buy M- NBC or, or whatever the other rumors are out there. So I pretty much know how this is going to go. But again, man, uh, I just don't think you can write that many victims off. But some of you seem to easily do it. Uh, before we go, I just want to thank everybody for listening to us. I want to thank Tim Scott, excuse me, Senator Tim Scott for coming on. Once again, we really, really appreciate it. And as always, we definitely thank all of you guys for listening to us. Frank and I have real nine to fives. So we do this, you know, for you guys. We do it for the love. We do it for free. So I hope you appreciate it. And we definitely thank you for tuning in. I'll let Frank take us out. Again, I want to thank all the listeners. If it was your first time listening, welcome to the show. Continue to listen. Tell five friends about it. Let them know. Uh, we also want to encourage you to go to the YouTube channel. Check out our interviews. You'll see the interview with Senator Tim Scott up there very soon. And, and check out some more other interviews. Uh, Ms. Zaza Ali earlier this season as well. Nicole Spears, some other thought-provoking interviews that you can really uh, sink your teeth into. Uh, we just want to thank you for your support. We want to encourage you to stay active, encourage you to Look at vote spotter accountable. Look, look and understand the bills that are being passed and who's voting on what so that you know who to hold accountable in 2018 when it comes time to vote. And just and just make sure you're voting in your local elections. We always talk about that. Make sure uh, that you're not sleeping at the wheel when those things happen. So we just want to encourage you. We thank you for your support. We do the show for you. And we'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.